It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Back to the Neil Haley Show, also the media giant effect. And I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, my special co-host, who Dr. Ted does wisdom, teeth, wisdom, and some celebrity stuff himself. I yeah, he played with Dog the Bounty Hunter Pool and different celebrities. And he's he's a celebrity oral surgeon. Uh, Dr. Ted, Dr. Ted, what's going on? And I know you're excited about our guest today. I am. This is gonna be fun. I'm enjoying uh having the chance to to say hi. Yeah, it's just a fun thing about what the media giant does. He brings celebrities in their own field to the celebrities on the screen in different places. And I'm excited to welcome to the show, Allison Arngrim. Allison is from Little House on the Prairie and you were the bad girl in Little House on the Prairie. I look yeah. forward to hearing more about that. I did watch Little House on the Prairie, but I would say I was not at all the time watching it. I have a friend that is a huge fan of the show, but Allison, thanks for stopping by. We're going to learn about your latest projects. And you told me Pretty how cool. busy you are with a bunch of yes. different things. So thanks for stopping by. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So Allison, let's just jump right into specifically enough. Did you always want to be an actor? Was that growing up what you wanted to do? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I got my first job when I was five. So how long was I waiting? I don't, I mean, what, what does that mean? My whole family were in show business. And for some kids, they're sort of like drag kicking and screaming to the audition. So it wasn't that it was like, well, every, everyone I know is doing it. My family, all of my friends, it was like, I thought every, I thought everyone was in show business. It was one of those <laughs> situations. But so I got my SAG card. Yeah. When I was five. So wow. uh, I started working then and doing commercials and things and TV shows. And then I was about 10. I did a movie that was a trip i did a movie called throw out the anchor with richard egan and dina merrill um it was sort of a ripoff of houseboat with Sevilla. <laughs> uh we did that and then what's funny is is that i didn't work a lot after the movie and my father who was managing me and and other people said well you know a lot of child actors they work a bunch when they're like six and seven and eight and then they don't work till after 18 or they don't work at all so i got the your career might be over speech at 11 <laughs> and then I got Little House at 12. So people always say, are you doing a comeback? And I go, no, Little House was the comeback. I'm, I'm on like my 57th comeback at this point. Oh, my goodness. I look at my my days in, in professional wrestling, Allison, the same thing. And Dr. Ted, that, you know, I could make a comeback at 50. I did. I, I retired from wrestling at 29. But then I made two, three little mini comebacks into the ring a couple of times in that 25 year span. Uh, and it's just something that, you know, you never know. So you never know about anything. I thought, oh, I'm, at one point when I was running my tutoring business, I'm not going to do celebrity interviews anymore. And look what I am today. So we just never know the way the business works, the way it just it's it's a journey for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, when you look at, you know, some of the, the greats of the years, the Bob Hopes, the Carol Channings, the older stars, Betty White, these people didn't retire. They were working and appearing on TV at 98, 99, 100 years old. So, yeah. Why did that's why they let they live so long. You nailed this it. Betty true. White. This is true. My doctor has said, you know, if you can really not retire it would probably be best if you must retire, then, you know, do, you do something else. You take on some other thing. You go back to school. You do some major thing with your life. He said the people who retire literally don't do anything. He said they, they'll get sick. They'll get sick. He said, I can't do anything for them. They just everything starts to fall apart if you're not doing anything. Sitting disease. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah, and, 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 and the lack of a goal kind of thing. Yeah. True. But, but looking at George Burns with all those cigars. You know, that he smoked all the way up until he was 100 and acting all the way through Betty White. Uh, I don't know how people do that at that age. It's, it's crazy. And, and that just shows the value of keeping active just like you. 
Right. Because some of them with like George Burns, it's really a healthy like habit. And yet he lives up because, yeah, the working, having somewhere to be, somewhere to go, it, it really it, it makes a huge difference. And the pressure, up, the pressure keeps you active. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But good pressure. Fun. Yeah. Pressure. Yeah. I'm always doing something. I just haven't. So I did a, I did a movie in 2020 called uh, even in dreams. Uh, I've been doing when everything shut down. Uh, I just started doing my standup show online on stageit.com, And I have one coming up uh, in December on Friday, Friday, the 16th, I believe. Um, so I have a December show. And then I've been doing a lot of readings on Facebook. I started reading the little house books. To people oh. live on Facebook. That was so much fun. I put on a bond. I go, we're going to read Little House in the Prairie today and just read the things. And that just turned into a whole crazy thing. Um, so I still do some of that. And now I'm traveling and stuff. And there's been so many autographs. Little House in the Prairie is coming up on its 50th anniversary. 2024 is 50 well, I'm years since Little House so started. When, when is it 50 years? 2024? 50 years, 2024. Oh, you're, said, you're already getting back on that. I think you're going to be on more. I love your publicist, so we'll figure out topics and stuff. I think we could have fun on those conversations. So, Dr. Ted, what question do you have for Allison? Yeah, you, do tell. you know, I, even the little bit of speaking that I do, if it has to be something that's prepared, I, I just don't understand how actors and actresses are able to prepare, especially at, at, at the, the young age that you started in. How, how does a young actor get lines down how do you learn it well it's a bit of work but i mean you're also it's almost easier when you're a child because what are you doing all day in school please memorize this alphabet please memorize these multiplication tables now yeah. you're learning how to read please memorize what all these words and how they are they're spelled as an adult you're usually not having to memorize the spelling of lists of 50 words and and memorize endless math problems could you please memorize the pledge of allegiance and the beginning of the declaration of independence you're, you're memorizing all this stuff all day in school they're asking you to recite things so you're yeah. kind of just sort of a regular thing you're doing when you're nine um so it's like here go memorize this stuff and then of course with tv you have the wonderful advantage of you shoot a scene at a time you know you might shoot a scene it's four or five lines and then it's cut because you're going to the next thing now doing oh. theater that's a bit of work and doing theater when you're young is quite something because you may have two or three acts and that's yeah. there's no cut yeah, but wow. then you also went into stand-up right yeah i started doing stand-up when i was about 15 which yeah it's really young but it was crazy because well, when you're on a TV series, people tend to like either they sing or do something so they, they can go on talk shows. And mm -hmm. I, I couldn't sing or dance. So I took up stand up comedy and it suited me. I don't I don't I think it was watching all those Carol Burnett shows as a kid and she would come uh -huh. out and take questions. I went, oh, God, I want to do that. So I wound up you know, talking to the audience and so much fun but yeah i mean absolutely and now i have a whole like hour and a half one woman show and it includes a q a but yeah absolutely there's a whole scripted piece you know uh, she was brilliant with audiences yeah go ahead what were you gonna say dr oh i was gonna say carol burnett was brilliant with audiences and that's what that's what I love. And that's why I love doing the Q&A thing in my stand up, because it just it reminds me of the old Carol Burnett show and all the improv. Yeah, cool. I love improv, by the way. And I love to maybe do a little like, you know, whose line is it anyways? I'd like to try something with you at that at the end. If we want to try that. See that. <laughs> I guess, again, I'm a former pro wrestler, so I can go with the flow. Let's go and come up with some characters, say this and this, and Ted could come up with this storyline. And let's do it. We'll see what we'll do at the end. That'll be fun to finish up. This is what I like about it. It's my show. I can do damn what I, I want. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, <laughs> the power. So how did you become the, considered the bad girl of Little House? See, I well, don't know this. I'm going to have, and I know Little House is on in spot inspiration TV all the time. And it's on everything, everything 24 hours a day yeah, yeah, in 140 so, countries. So exactly. It's crazy. It, you know, constantly. I can go right into a, and, and find it. But tell me about Bad Girl. Explain that to me. Right. Yeah. Well, see, obviously, Little House in the Prairie is based upon the books by Laura Ingalls Wilder, where she wrote nine books, starting with Little House in the Big Woods, Little House in the Prairie, Farmer Boy, et cetera, on and on, Little, little Town on the Prairie, et cetera, et cetera, covering her whole childhood. And uh, then these got optioned for a book, and Michael Landon, who just come off Bonanza, was a huge star. So NBC said, hey, we should give you your own show. And he's like, I want to do Little House in the Prairie. And they said, you're crazy. He said, no, I want to do Little House in the Prairie. So next thing you know, he's Paul Ingalls. So it's all about from Laura's point of view, played by Melissa Gilbert. But you see, they go into town and the town, there is the store, it's a general store run by the Olsons and the very nice Mr. Olson and the hideous, awful, mean Mrs. Olson. And they're spoiled, horrid, horrid children, Nellie 
and Willie. And I am Nellie Olson, who is Laura Ingalls Wilder's arch enemy, who she wrote about in her books and wrote about in more than one book in Little Town on the Prairie. She kept going and writing about her as, as a teenager because she tried to steal her boyfriend, uh, Almanzo. And, and she was just she was just so awful that she marked Laura for life to the point she wrote about her in her books. Oh, my. That's a reputation to carry around with you. And it technically took three people to be me. I, I found out when you do study the history of Laura that she's based on three different horrible girls who bullied and tortured her, that she combined into one person. That, that's She's like that bad. Um, so, yeah, during the course of the show, I uh, abused stuttering children. Um, and there's a poor girl whose one leg was shorter than the other, and I was cruel to her. And then, of course, mostly cruel to Laura and uh, her sister Mary. And um, generally cheated on tests, uh, broke things, smashed things, screamed, yelled, stole, cheated. Yeah, as usual. And you kind of played that off in your stand-up, right? Based well, yeah, because people hated me. I start it was this whole bizarre story. People calling me, well, a bitch in the street, and and people throwing things oh, really? at me. You're just kidding parade. me. You seriously? Oh, yeah. That was oh, my God, still, still people. My friends, people will say you're, you're friends with her. <laughs> Why? And this is 48 years later. My poor husband, people like, you're married to her. God, what's that like? Yeah, people <laughs> still are terrified of me. It's that. And so, yeah, I just wrote about the whole insanity of being an ex-child star and having people hate you for things you did when you were 12. It's quite bizarre, but it's pretty darn funny, too. You think did you about that. Time with, did, did you have a hard time with that when you were when you were younger? Not really. I mean, it was weird, like right away. But as soon as I read, I, I didn't, I hadn't read the books and I didn't know about Nellie until I got the show. So I had to like go read the books. Go, whoa, this girl's horrible. But as soon as I got the pages of the audition, I was in shock. I said, this, my father says, girl's horrible. What is happening? And then as soon as I got, I was like, oh man, okay, I'm the villain. Yeah. Okay, now what? And so I, I ran with it. I always liked villains in movies and TV shows, so I thought it was great. Um, but yeah, I was surprised at, apparently I did a better job than I thought because um, people were actually afraid of me and hated me. So that was kind of stunning. See, everyone likes to be the bad guy, okay? And my, as a professional wrestler, I love playing a bad guy more than the good guy, completely. Okay, completely. The wrestling thing, seriously. When I was in parades when I was young and I'd go down the street and people, sometimes they would boo. You know what I would do? I would do this thing. I would do this thing of like the wrestler. Yeah. Of like the evil wrestler characters. I That's totally what I was doing at the time. It's been so, so great, the good guy versus bad guy and being a villain. And I know that people as actors love to play villains, but again, younger, it's understanding. But to know that people hated you, who do you think of other child stars people hated as much as you? That's a great question. Oh, I don't know. Many. I mean, um, oh, gosh, that marvelous actress was opposite Shirley Temple back in the day, who was just a uh, um, Yeah, she was just marvelous. She was just so mean. Uh, Jane. And she played a child villain. But still, OK, the closest to really a scary child going back in the day. I mean, now it's you know, villains are more popular. But Patty McCormick, who was in the movie The Bad Seed in the 50s, and that was shocking. She was actually a child murderess in the film. <laughs> and um, of course, I saw that movie like 800 times before I got a little house out there. <laughs> Tells you something. But yeah, no, and she's very well adjusted. And um, she was the scariest child, I think, in cinema in, until me. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Until you, and you wouldn't think about that. And that's a question to ask. Is there anyone out there like that now? I don't know. That's a hated. Oh, I don't know if there's any young girls. I mean, one of the problems that we have, of course, with reality TV, but that's, that's a real problem for like the young kids because it's, it's you. And as we know with reality TV, things are scripted and they set up scenarios like you're going to be the bad one and you're going to be the nice one. But for children, they don't really know that. And it's not scripted, scripted, like you are playing this person named this other thing. It's your name. And they're saying that little Susie is the bad child in a reality show. And that gets weird because people watching it she's not playing quote a part and so then they hate her her i hey i was in a wig and a dress and had a different name so i'm like you wouldn't mean man uh, <laughs> so it was a much healthier situation but you know who actually is a marvelous actor and he left he got out he got out of television just went back to theater was uh the young guy who played king joffrey on game of thrones Oh. was so horrifying and he was playing the young like 15 year old evil king and man he was good but it was so intense and he had come out of a very serious theater background so when people in the street started coming up to him and yelling and screaming he's like oh no i'm not i'm not doing this he quit 
he finished Game of Thrones and then he said, yeah, that's it. I'm going back to theater because this thing where people scream at you is just like too weird. Now, being I, the villain, I, I came up with another one, but go ahead, Ted, with your question. Well, being the villain is such a contrast to what your mother did being the voice for Casper the ghost. So my she, mother was in charge of my mother was voice cast for the friendly ghost. Yes, exactly. It was the nice ghost. And then she was also the the witch, the little uh, witch was, you know, the good witch and uh, Wendy the witch. And she was Nightmare the Horse, all the, all the nice ghost characters. And she's Gumby. And she was sweet Polly Purebred on Underdog, Underdog's girlfriend. And then Davy of Davy and Goliath. So, yeah, she played the nicest cartoon. She was the nicest cartoon character in the world. She was all the nice people. Um, She later got to play a villain here and there in in her um, live work on TV and stuff and film. Uh, She had an episode of She's the Sheriff and she was the villain and she almost wasn't going to do it. She said, I don't think I can do this because the character, she's so she's the villain at the end. and She's terrible. And she punches this man. And I, I said, oh, come on. Come on, we're related. I was Nellie Olson for seven years. I, I know you can do this. I actually coached her to play a villain in a sitcom. And, oh, wow. and she was fantastic. She was so good. Huh. She completely nailed it. <laughs> oh, perfect trainer. Yeah, right? Completely. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to your current projects right now, especially yes. coming up Pinehurst, North Carolina, in a week, I guess the 17th to 20th. Yes, the 17th uh, is opening night. Yes, yes. yes. So, so let's talk about where this is a little different than this is stand up or not stand up. This is not stand up. Oh, it's a play. We're doing right. serial yeah. theater. Yeah, because I, I do my show, Confessions of Prairie Bitch, which I do off in New York and LA. But I also do real theater. And a few years ago, I did Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. Uh, and it's this place, the Judson Playhouse here in Pinehurst, North Carolina. In fact, I'm off to rehearsal in a few minutes. Uh, and so November 17th is opening night, and we're doing The Mouse Trap. Now, this is the longest, most successful running play. Ever. It's like Cats is the longest running musical and Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap is the longest running play. It's huge. And it's the 70th anniversary of The Mousetrap. So they're doing it all over the place. They're doing it in London. They're doing it everywhere. So here in North Carolina, we're doing it at the Judson Playhouse, which if you are down near Judson, you know where that is. So go out Airport Road there. And the Judson Playhouse does really great stuff. So the 17th and the 18th and two shows on Saturday, two shows on Saturday and then Sunday. And I play Mrs. Boyle, who is not a nice person to put it mildly. It's, so in Agatha Christie plays, there's always these characters in a law, like locked in a house and they all have a secret. And so, and then people start getting murdered. It's generally how things go in Agatha Christie. And everyone has some terrible secret that they're hiding. And usually they're really remorseful, but there's always one character who has no remorse whatsoever. And that's me. I always play that one. So I am the unpleasant and remorseless and extremely annoying Mrs. Boyle. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so other projects going on. You said your one woman show, comedy. So much is going on. So I'm doing this. And then December, um, it's a Friday night, December 16th, uh, stageit.com. I'll be doing my stand up show from my living room. And you can log on to stageit.com, get a ticket there, and watch it in your living room. So that's really cool. We're doing that. Uh, December 3rd, I'm helping out my friend Ketty Lester, who's Hester Sue on Little House, but she's also the woman who's saying, Love Letters back in the 60s, Love Letters Straight from the Heart. And she's performing again at 80, talking about comeback, she's 87. And wow. she's going to be at uh, down there at the Gardenia in Hollywood. So I'm going to be at that. Um, there's a bunch of autograph shows coming up. And as I said, some of them I had, I can't come see you all in person in Bakersfield. Everyone's going to the big Bakersfield Comic Con with the cast of Little House. I'll do a video. I'll see you then. Uh, I've been doing cooking videos also on YouTube. And uh, I'm preparing to go back to france i do a lot of shows in france so i'm gearing up for that again wow okay amazing stuff so i'm gonna throw dr ted you come up with a scenario with us playing two characters go ahead ted you this is it think of whose line is anyway it's really simple stuff but we have to play two different characters and go and then i love improv i was i was at lembex i'm ready oh i I don't know if i can do this (laughs) Uh, yeah, we, she, th- th- that makes it the fair thing. Cause if we come up with it, we can come up with the storyline. So yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you just basically, sure. she's the bad, gr- okay. bad, bad girl. I'll be somebody negative and terrible. We can yes. go with that. That'll make it really, yeah, that, that really so makes some scenario so that, where you have an awful person. And okay. An awful person. Not, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And basically an awful person that I'm asking out on a date. Oh, so I, the, so I'm, the, I'm, I'm trying to get a, a date, a date. Yeah. 
Yes. Great, fabulous. Okay, where are we? Do you know where we are? We are going to be, uh, no, Ted has to pick the area. Go ahead. He has to pick it. Where Where are we? What's the and what, what, and, and what, what, what national, what, like, oh. uh, where, what area and country and all that go? Does it have to be in the U.S.? I was thinking yeah. London. London, anyway. perfect. And I'll do the London accent. Perfect. Oh, so we're in London. London, yes. And you're, oh, you're because, so, so I'm, I'm British. Go ahead, Ted. What, um, uh, is she going to be British as well? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, that's not a problem. I've been British all week in this play because I uh -huh. am doing. <laughs> oh, there you go. The mousetrap for heaven's sake. Now, come up with our names. Come up with our names. Come on, Ted. This well, is... you've got to be Nigel. Nigel. I'm Nigel. <laughs> I'm Very nice to meet you today. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um. Let's see, Allison. Well, um, Alicia. Alicia. Okay. Oh, it is all right. Alicia. Okay. I can be Alicia. Okay, Thank so you. what is the kind of pub is it? Is it is not tell us what Nigel's like, or I'll come up with what it is. Okay. All oh right. yeah, yeah. You can do it was like now. Are we in a pub or are we at a bus yeah. stop? Do you know where we are? Yeah. yeah. I like a pub just because you've got libations and uh you know all, uh, kidney pie. Ask and... the lady for a date at the pub. All right. Okay, then. perfect. Let's do that in just two minutes. I'm Alicia. I'm having a nice simple a pint down at my local pub. Hello, right nice to meet you. I'd like to buy you a drink. Can I, madam? All right, then. I'll have a bath, thank you. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit, what is your name? I'm Alicia. And what's your name? My name is Nigel. I am the Duke of York, and I'm very happy to be in this pub. And I usually, the, the people around here are very, very pedestrian but i saw your beauty and i felt i was going to ask you out on a date are you interested can you really i mean down here in this pub it's very nice of you to come hang with the commoners as it were but i mean would your security team approve it i mean you're the duke of york and you're just asking a random lady out in the pub well very nice i didn't need i would make sure that happens i kind of escaped i said i'm gonna go out and go find me a chick and i said well i'll come here and i knew that there would be some pedestrian that would not care that i am a duke I see. However, the fact that you referred to myself and everyone else here in this establishment as a pedestrian, and, and the fact that you just referred to your seeking companionship as finding a chick. A that chick, yeah. Really. Very, very, because you know who I up. am, and I just need to have a good time tonight. And I thought, well, if I go to a place where, you know, most of the women are very loose, I thought that this is a place to go. You know, I've heard these stories about the royal family, but you're only confirming the worst gossip so far. I mean, oh, yeah, really, that you assume that just because a lady is in the pub having a nice pint on a Sunday, that she's automatically loose. I mean, casual. Absolutely. Because can, do you see, you see the brilliance that I am and how many women would be dying to be with me? Just the sort of self-absorbed, egotistical nonsense that we can only expect from members of the royal family nowadays. You know, it's not like the old days. You know, Queen Elizabeth and her sort, these were dignified people back then. Now, this younger generation of royals, well, look, look, look what you get. Are you kidding me? Courting women I, down the I am park. absolutely very upset. I am going to not just buy you a drink. I am going to buy you a hotel room tonight. Don't you see that as such a great thing? You're carrying on as if I'm a prostitute. This is just the sort of thing one expects now from the upper class. Disgraceful. Good day. Oh, I am. Oh, I guess I'll go over to this bar here. It's a kind of a dancing club. I'll see you later. I suggest you try another establishment, Your Highness. Good day. That's All fun. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was that Duke Strikes Out. That was out, yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was great. I, I've, I've done that once before, and that, that, that was fun. I would love to go to acting courses and stuff because I enjoy it. One, th This is a final right. thing. I auditioned once, okay? I have, okay. A, I'm have. i an aspiring actor. I'm turning 50 in January, and I'm not in the wrestling. Oh, I, I'm a big <laughs> Oh, thank you. But basically, um, I always had this aspiring thing that I wanted to act. Then they gave me this one time, one acting opportunity where they wanted me to memorize lines, and it was mm -hmm. so long, and it was something where they were lines for, to try to be like this conservative talk show host and it was just it just wasn't me 
I feel that what is your recommendation when you're like auditioning with memorizing lines? How do you memorize like three? It's a lot of work. You may have to take longer. You may have to tell someone if you're auditioning, you may have to say, I need, I need more time. Cause sometimes it's like your auditions tomorrow. And if it's like pages and pages, you may have to tell, look, I am new at this. This is going to take me a couple of days to get this together. Uh, and they'll do that. And then some auditions they'll say, that's nah, okay. We don't care. You can read, but of course you'll have to learn them eventually. So you may want to ask for more time. And then the other is it's great when you read a part and you go, wow, wow, this is way not me. Now, of course, a real actor goes, oh, goody. And it's like, okay, yes, absolutely. When I get a part and go, I would never do that. Oh, great. Uh, because obviously Nellie Olson's like, I'm not going to do all those things Nellie Olson did. I'm not a horrible person. Um, but that's the fun of it. And then you go, okay, what mental hijinks do I have to do mental Olympics here to make myself believe that I'm this person here on the page and and actually i actually believe all of these weird things that this character says he believes that i i don't believe and and try to like turn your brain around into it now what if i was this person what if i just absolutely thought i was dead to rights to 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 say and do all these dreadful things that this right. character does it's kind of fun it's very free all right well i'm good good advice uh, Dr. Ted, last question before we find out again, Allison, where we're going to go ahead and uh, check out uh, your latest projects, best things, and especially Pinehurst, if you're in the Pinehurst. Yeah, yeah. It certainly sounds like variety is in your career, right? Yes. I, I, all the different things that you've done. How is, is stand-up more difficult than anything else you've done? So, I mean, and a lot of actors will say stand-up's the hardest because it's you, you know, with the, with the play, you have the script to lean on. You, you just, yes, you, you say memorizing, but you know, I'm only having to say these words. I don't have to make up any new ones. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you've got the other actors and the director and the set and the whole thing. You're somebody else and the costume and everything. Whereas with stand-up, it's you, it's you. It's your idea and you're saying this stuff and you're there and the audience is right there. And if they don't like it, yeah, it's pretty much on you. Um, if it works, then, hey, it's all on you. Um, so stand-up is extremely difficult uh, and doing a one-person show, extremely difficult, but I, mine seems to work. It has worked out for me. Um, theater can be quite hard depending on the character and the production. Um, Judson always does really great, like good old-fashioned plays, stuff like Agatha Christie, the classics, which is just fantastic. Um, and I think I think people will like this show. As I said, this show, it's its, it's, its 70th year, but it wow. still holds up because what everybody loved the movie knives out it's like if you like all these kind of everybody in the house and who's the killer it's yeah. like this is your kind of show so yeah totally come come see mousetrap no when's knives out two coming out i think it's soon right i think it's right. coming yeah, out. It's like it doesn't like any second is it out yet i'd like i can't no, I, 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 can't, I can't wait till knives out two is out okay yeah, right all right so so best place to find information first purchase tickets for yes, the Judson Theta, and that's T-H-E-A-T-R-E, Judson Theta is on the internet. You can find them and you can buy tickets there. Absolutely. The Judson Theater in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, and then there's, of course, my website, bonnetheads.com, B-O-N-N-E-T-H-E-A-D-S, bonnetheads.com for all you prairie bonnetheads. And my information is up there with my newsletter and everything. So, yes. You're updating people all the time because of all the different places you're going to be in stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I, have to, I send out a newsletter every month just so I can get them my schedule. Because your schedule is very busy. We appreciate the time. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. And what'd you think of my first improv, second improv? I've done wrestling, but never this. Not bad, right? Coming up with the idea. Start. Now your accent started slipping in at one point. I thought, laughing. oh, good heavens, he's from New Delhi. Um, <laughs> he's from London to New Delhi at one point. But you might meet a man from New Delhi in a London pub. So it's not really outside the Perhaps it was a man from New Delhi impersonating the Duke of York, which was a very interesting concept. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you went, you went with it. You went with it. You persisted. You said, "I'm trying to get you a room." Yet you stuck with it. So I'll, I'll definitely give you points for that. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Great acting. You want acting advice? Definitely contact <laughs> Alex today. Appreciate it, Allison. Thanks again, Dr. Ted, for co-hosting with me. And take care, guys. Thank you. All right. You're listening All and right. watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, also the media giant effect and Love is Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome program my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Neil, I am doing great. And I cannot even tell you how excited I am about our guest today, Dallas Jenkins. You are a superstar. The Chosen, I think, is transforming lives. Like, it's amazing what you've done. You've had such uh, guts 
in your career going after things when you thought you were at the lowest and then the highest ever crowdfunded film and you just keep going strong. I cannot wait to hear from you and what you have to say. Uh, your wife is gorgeous, by the way, and your kids <laughs> are so cute and it must be fun running around after them. So welcome, Dallas. It's so nice to meet you. Wow. What an intro. Thank you so much. And I for sure agree with you on uh, my wife and kids. So yeah, we're off to a good start. <laughs> good. Good. So uh, your Christmas special that you did last year, is that going to come on again this year? How is that going to work? No. So, so yeah, so we did a Christmas special last year that it consisted of a new uh, brand new episode that we had kept under wraps. It was focused on the birth of Christ. And, and uh, we put that together with a bunch of music videos uh, with some incredible artists singing Christmas songs. And we put that in theaters. Uh, it was originally only going to be a day or two, just as kind of a special event. And it sold out so fast. And the response was so significant that we ended up doing it like a normal theatrical run. And uh, it ended up being in the top five at the box office. And and uh, we barely spent any money or even tried really hard. It was So it was kind of an extraordinary experience, which has led to our decision this year to release the first two episodes of season three in uh, in theaters. So yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride. There's so much about this that has been uh, kind of unexpected and different. Well, Dallas, it's unexpected and different just to go back to your father and how this has all developed to where you've done. How much do you feel that you've learned from your father to where you are today and the success you've been having, especially what you've done? Yeah, I think uh, that's been a, an awesome opportunity because my dad, 25 years ago, um, when he launched the Left Behind books, uh, it was similar. There, there was no expectation of huge success. It wasn't why he did it. It was, and he just worked to try to to write, you know, good books and honor the Gospels and honor the story of the Bible and honor Jesus. And that series blew up. And now the things I learned from him then are are one, obviously, the storytelling gene. I think I. I you know, I'm happy to be part of that in our family, but two, watching him handle uh, extraordinary success. Um, I've experienced failure. I've experienced, I mean, the movie that I did before the show was a huge failure and left me wondering if I was ever going to make another project again. Well, now that The Chosen has uh, had the success that it's had, it's been easier for me to recognize that I have little to do with it, not only because of what's happened, but also because I was able to watch my dad go through the same thing with Left Behind and the humility that he exhibited, as opposed to the sense of arrogance or complacency, was for sure, I, when I look back on it now, it was, a, it was a great model for me that at the time I could never have known was going to be uh, uh, a model that would matter to me in the future, but it's proven to be so, and it's been really beautiful to, to, to be part of. What a, what a legacy. I mean, honestly, that's a, such a beautiful thing to say about your dad, and I remember watching uh, interviews and things with him back in the day. And of course the books are still selling, but he always did come from such a humble place. And uh, that was, that was beautiful. And for you to take that on now is amazing. And the chosen at theaters, I know so many people that are just chomping at the bit <laughs> and cannot wait to see the, the entire season. But, uh, tell us more about the chosen and like, even, even the, uh, characters how you've developed characters like eden yeah. what a wonderful yeah. character you know that you don't really know that much about but you've had to develop them yeah what was yeah. that process like yeah no, it's a great question so yeah eden's a great example so we know in the gospels that uh, jesus healed simon's mother-in-law well you can then and and, and it's, it's a very short scene uh in the gospels you don't know much about it, it doesn't mention who simon's wife is but we know he had a wife because he had a mother-in-law so that's a great example of how we operate. So we look at that story and we know it would have had significant resonance in the lives of the people involved. Well, so let's work our way backwards and, and, and think about what could have led to that moment. Uh, why would that moment have taken place? What's the historical context, the cultural context? What was happening when Jesus did that? And so we were able to then use, yes, some artistic liberty um, to create uh, a what we believe is a plausible scenario of who Simon's wife would have been and why this would have been so resonant for her. So uh, you, now that that happened in season one, so season one, you see the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, but now we're going into season three. Well, there's so much more to tell when you know that Simon's married. Well, Simon has been called by Jesus to follow him. And there's a scene in season three where Jesus sends the disciples out two by two to heal and to do some of the work he's doing. And as Simon mentions, to then get the same kind of 
criticism and resistance that Jesus gets. What does that do for a wife? When you're, when you're home alone, your husband's out doing ministry, and you know that the Romans don't want it to happen, the religious leaders don't want it to happen, uh, you know that your husband's going to be called blasphemous and a traitor, all that stuff. Uh, what does that do to your marriage? What does that do when he comes back from a trip? I mean, we all experience this today. Any, those, anyone who's married has experienced, and I think we all have similar stories, of when a spouse comes home from a trip, my wife and I call it re-entry, and you think it's supposed to be wonderful and happy and we're so glad to see each other. And for some reason, first day back is always tense and weird and right. missed, missed expectations. Well, we dig into that. And we were filming that scene this year of Simon coming back and the weird tension that took place and the misunderstandings and whatnot. And there were cr people on the crew while we were filming going, do you have a recording in my house? Like, uh, this is exactly what we experienced. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because I do believe that's the secret sauce of The Chosen, that when you watch the show, you're thinking, that's me. I experienced that. I have the same questions and struggles that they had 2,000 years ago. Maybe the answer and the solution to those questions and struggles can be the same for me as well. So Dallas, why theaters? Especially, you know, streaming is the big thing, right? What made you decide to go to the theaters as well as having it streaming? Well, yeah. I mean, well, and, and you just said it. I mean, obviously, we're still streaming. The show is free and easy to watch. We don't even require an email address. I mean, you just go to the chosen app and you can watch the show. Uh, you can catch up on seasons one and two. And when season three comes out, eventually it'll be out on streaming as well. Why theaters, especially when it's a TV show? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we did that Christmas special last year and we're barely even trying and it did so unexpectedly well. It accomplished two things. One, it gave people a great experience. People love to watch stuff in the theaters. I love for them to see my work in theaters, obviously, up on the big screen with the great sound, the dark room, watching with other people, the laughter is better, the tears are better when you're watching it with a group. Uh, and But also it gave a new, um, for lack of a better term, marketing awareness for the show by putting, you know, when it launched in, in the top five at the box office and when people are seeing the posters in the movie theater, it's like, wow, what is this? I gotta, I gotta check this out. So all those benefits are, are make it an obvious choice for us to, to try it again with this season and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm, I, I know it's gonna do great. I love what you said about how, you, what you said about developing Eden and, and what that would mean. In fact, um, I had the same experience with my husband when coming home and you think it's going to be this honeymoon and instead it's this tense moment where you wonder if you're going to make it after that for whatever reason it's a crazy thing the opposite of what you think but another thing that i hear mentioned all the time and that i really love about your show about the way you're explaining the life of christ and and dramatizing it is um your use of women you know yeah. they're the that women are involved that women are part of Jesus life that that he doesn't send the women away like the women are less than right. and you know so often it's thought of the opposite so how what's the reaction to that been like how has that been yeah it's been awesome and I think one of the cool things about it is that we're not doing it to make any kind of political statement or to try to correct any previous uh poorly poor portrayals of women in, in other bible projects or the ignorance of it in, in other Bible projects. It really is just a, a part of our attempt to be authentic. Uh, the stories of the Gospels have multiple instances where Jesus specifically sought out women for a particular reason. He was the first, uh, a woman was the first person he announced publicly he was the Messiah to, the woman at the well, which we covered in season one. Um, Mary Magdalene was the first uh, person that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. Uh, there's multiple moments in the Gospels where he had such a beautiful relationship with his mother. And these are things that if we're going to tell an authentic and meaningful story about Jesus, especially over the course of multiple seasons, it would be bizarre of us to, to leave out some of the really unique things that Jesus did uh, regarding women. And uh, I think that's especially, I think it makes it even more resonant when uh, you also portray what they were up against. At that time, women were so, so such second-class citizens, and Jesus came and, uh, and, and as we say and, and quote all the time from Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. And one of our key phrases of the chosen is get used to different, which Jesus says in season one. Well, that's part of different. Jesus uh, 
did things in a different way than than the Pharisees expected, than the Romans expected, and even his followers expected. Wow. And how he interacted with women was part of that. And uh, the response to that has been overwhelming. We have women all the time just saying, thank you. I, I feel seen. I feel like I can connect more with some of these people when I haven't been able to in other portrayals. All right. Kim has a question regarding her book, Love Is, and she asked this question for everyone that she has on uh, Gets the Co-host with me. Go with that question, Kim. Yeah, Dallas, I decided a bit ago that I was going to dedicate a full year in search of the true meaning of love because it seems to be something that we question, right? But but yet God is love. And so so love must be something that's alive, something that you are rather than just something that you feel. So I used First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and and focused on one word a month to figure out what is love that is patient, what is love that is kind. And the things I found out about love just blew my mind. Like, I feel like I did the world's homework for you when it comes to the truth about love. And I'm just curious, like um, this project has to be a love passion for you. I mean, you uh, this has been a lot of work. I mean, this isn't something that came overnight. You had to go source money. You had to come out of um, a failed film that you thought your career might be over. Like, wh where does love play a part in that for you? Well, you, you know, I, I heard you say the, the phrase love is, and for me, uh, I mean, it's many things, but one of the key words that comes to mind is love is personal. And I see throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus was a God of the personal. He spoke to people directly. He met them where they're at. He called them in specific ways unique to their personalities, unique to their situations. And uh, that's one of the things about the show that has uh, been not only exhibited in how we portray Jesus, but also how it's impacted me, just knowing that God is the God of the intimate and that Jesus wants a personal relationship and that love uh, is not just something that uh, applies to a group of people, but whether it's your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends or whatever, or, or even your relationship with God, um, love is personal. Uh, it looks a little different with each person in your life. And if it doesn't, that's a problem because you should be sacrificing and being empathetic and being submissive to the needs of and the love language of the people in your life, as opposed to looking at love as something that you just apply equally to everybody. Or when, when I say equally, I mean the same uh, to everybody or expect it to be applied in a specific way to you. And uh, that's that's what's really been meaningful to me about doing this show and learning more about Jesus is just how personal he was. Fantastic. And Dallas, the best place people could check out The Chosen is where? Well, you first look at for it in theaters, you know, it launches uh, the first two episodes launch in theaters for a couple of weeks. But more than anything else, you, what you just just look up The Chosen. Uh, we're very easy to find. If you go to your app store or where you get your apps on on a TV or whatever, just look up The Chosen and uh, and you can find it very easily and watch it completely free and easy. You don't need an email address. We don't require anything from you. Everything is by choice uh, and you just get a chance to watch it for free and uh, with, with no questions asked. That'll get you caught up so you can see season three in theaters. Or if you don't want to see it in theaters, that's fine. Just wait till it's free and you can watch it on the app. All right. Well, I think it'll be the experience of seeing it on the silver screen, Dallas, yes. that you think is going to be, that's going to continue to build your success. So congrats again. And I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Nice All talk right, to you're, you guys. you're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And you know what? My guest today is going to talk about that we shouldn't care what people think at times, especially if it's something that really shouldn't, it's keeping us from growing. A lot of times we care what people think too much to keep us from being who we need to be. And my guest today is Kate Wolf. Kate, how are you? And uh, why is that the case that, you know, caring what people think can, can stagnate us at times? Hi, Neil. So nice to be here. So first of all, it's very important to differentiate between caring about what other people think and worrying about what other people think. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes we can go too far in the other direction. We can put up this very fake wall of, I don't care. You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. And actually, to be a human on this planet and have friends, it's okay. It's okay to care what people think, what the people around you think, your family, people you love, people you actually legitimately care about. The problem happens when we worry about what this imaginary other people think, especially when we're self-employed. I work with service-based entrepreneurs and 
regularly my clients say to me, I can't share that, what will people think? And when we dig down into it, their imaginary perception of other people, you know, who they're making up in their minds are not their ideal clients. So while they are editing their voice, right, editing who they really are based on people who are not their ideal clients, clients. Based, right, based on people who they will always be wrong for, their ideal clients can't see them. They remain invisible. They're not showing up. They're not showing up as who their true authentic self is. They're not showing up with their real self. They're hiding bits of them. Maybe they're hiding how funny they are. Maybe they're hiding their playful side. Maybe they're hiding how sharp they are, how intelligent they are. All sorts of different things we hide and there are many good reasons why we might be hiding based on those moments we've all experienced normally before about the age of seven where, you know, maybe we were in a class and we excitedly put our hand up because we had the answer and we got it wrong and we were shamed or people laughed at us and in our little five-year-old brain it felt like death and we never wanted to do that again. So there are very good reasons why we hide who we really are, but as entrepreneurs we need to heal that so we can be seen out there with our true selves by our real ideal clients. That makes complete sense. And so the worrying factor, and you're really looking at specifically enough, you people that in back your mind, you might've met in corporate or you might've met in your life or they're just not the right avatar client. You really shouldn't worry about, oh, well, if they see me doing this, and they're doing this, they're gonna say, have something to think about. And it's in the back of our minds worrying about it versus focusing exactly on who your ideal client is. Put together you know, certain things that you say that are your, idea, your authentic real self and not be afraid of the other people, what they say. That's, That's the- exactly it. That's exactly it. And sometimes you even know you're onto something if you know that certain people from your sort of past lives are going to be judging you because you've deliberately moved on. You know, you've moved on from that world for a reason and you're doing what you now do generally because you want to be making a difference in the world. This is what I often find my clients are visionary, they're heart-centered, they want to be bringing through this new way of being, a more loving way of being, a more accepting way of being. And so by definition, there are going to be people who don't understand them, who think they're weird, Because if their message, if their mission already existed on this planet, it wouldn't be needed, right? right? The work wouldn't be needed. So brilliant, celebrate it. If you know you have a message that some people are gonna think is weird, unrealistic, out there, fantastic, you know you're onto something. All right, perfect. Where can we find information on you, Kate, and learn more about you, where can we go? You can go to katewolf.global and sign up for my Move Through Fear Guide to help you be seen as a real you so you can start making a real impact and making really good money with your magic. Appreciate it, Kate. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back. We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect. And did I just get distracted for a second? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, there's a cell phone. Uh, I, my guest today is going to stop me from doing that stuff. What we all used to call the multitasking in the world, which doesn't work, switching works. And I get blamed all the time because I have to keep my brain moving. And if you're, if I lose, you lose, I lose interest in you, I'm going somewhere else. But my guest today is saying it's going to cost me money and it's going to cost me more than that at times. Karen Cox, Karen, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Thank you, Neil. Great to be here. That was a wonderful start to this talk. I love ah, it. Because <laughs> I'm thinking that, well, especially now I'm, I'm like, I don't know how many interviews I've gone through to start out today, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. Uh, so, and I'm, and I'm not been able to check my phone. I've been laser focused and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? But what you're trying to say is distractions keep us from growing our business and also not getting things done. Two major things. A lot of people are not completing projects on time. They're not finishing it for their clients. They're not taking care of what they promise. And then distractions, they allow certain things to distract them. It could be business, everything. So you kind of take me in that direction and we're involving distractions, first of all, why that's costing your money in your business. 
Well, a lot of times there are obvious things. So if I ask you, hey, what distracts you? You kicked it off right away. It's like, oh, our phones are beeping. The classic, hey, I'm binging on Netflix. But there are also those those more um, sneaky distractions that are that really feel legitimate. Well, I have to take care of my clients and I have to take care of my family and oh, somebody else needs something. And so it all really compounds and really keeps us from focusing on what those things that we really need to focus on, especially in business, because sometimes it can get pushed aside, especially for um, smaller and midsize or solo experts who are really trying to build. It's really easy to get distracted in all these shoulds and coulds. Let's talk about it. And you'll agree with me on this part of the topic. Uh, a lot of times people forget sales and growing their business and are focused too much on their clients or their family distracts them. And that hurts the business, bottom line. You have to have the business goals and you have to stick to them. It sounds like what you're saying, right? If you're, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a, a, a really, it's more of a conscious balance because of course, if you're, you're yeah, you know, our families family need us and of course we we have to meet our client commitments, but sometimes we still always put those ahead. So um, for instance, it's like, okay, oh, well I can do this extra thing for my client. It'll only take five minutes, but next thing you know, your day is gone and you didn't make your extra sales calls and you didn't reach out for referrals or you didn't do a follow-up from a networking meeting that you had a, a few days ago, which you really intended to do. Or chasing people that have decided they didn't want to pay and you're like, we'll just drop them have somebody handle it and go do something else. Focus on getting new revenue into the business. So there's just different directions. I'm sure social media as well. I hear people spending, spend all this time on social media, yet they could have been just picking up the phone and calling somebody to get in business, right? Or having a- Yeah, yeah absolutely. Media. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree with that one. Social media is a huge distraction. And that, and so I do, most of the social media I do is, you know, uh, for clients at times, and that a lot of my team does the, the work, but- when it comes to me, I don't spend that much time on social media because it's a time, time suck. Clubhouse became a time suck for me at one point. I, va I valued that and said, you know what? I could be growing my business, doing something else more. And it sometimes takes time. And that's why an expert like you kind of can help you through that process, right? Right. Yeah. So really, so, you know, things that you mentioned like social media, it's a great tool when used properly. And so really when we look at it, um, I kind of call it an, my I am model because it's really easy to remember. Um, intentional decision-making. We really need to really be conscious in deciding where are we going to spend our time and where um, really how much time do we need to spend on these different things? How much time are we going to spend on social media, either interacting or posting? How much time are we gonna spend on our sales calls? And that's the, the A is taking those actions, not just thinking about it or putting it on your to-do list, but then actually taking the action. And then M is momentum because all those wins build on the ones before. So if you keep making those sales calls and keep making you know, posting or what those intention, those follow-ups and referral calls, then it keeps building on it. And then eventually you can keep growing your team because now you have direction, and you know, where to spend your time and what you would need those team members to help you do. Yes. This is the bottom line is that you need a coach to kind of guide you in those ways, because a lot of times we don't think about these things and what, how, how much time we're spending each day and how do we then finally start to scale the business? It's, oh, I got another five minutes. You're right. That five minutes could add up to three hours. I could do that for that client. Oh, yeah, it's not part of the. Let me go ahead and take care of this. And then before you know it, what happened to your time? So you really need someone like yourself to guide people through the process. So Karen, where's the best place people can connect with you? Where can they go? People can find me at my website. It's clickthink.com. And click is spelled with a K like my name. And there, my contact information, they can reach out by phone or email. They can also book a call with me. And then I also have some re free resources they can download, which focus directly on this topic, help them focus and identify where to have the biggest impact in their business. All right. Thanks again, Karen. Appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. 
Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Angel Johnson. She's the CEO and founder of Iconi, a motivational activewear brand for men and women. Angel served in the United States Air Force for eight years. And while in the service that she developed the idea for her business, she lost the, launched the Iconi leggings in 2019. And the brand has been featured in Women's Health Magazine, People Magazine, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine. 10% of Iconi's profits are donated to nonprofit organizations to help make a difference in the world, one legging at a time. Welcome to the show, Angel. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, why don't you, um, before we hear about your story, what does Iconi stand for? I love, I love the acronym for that. Iconi stands for I Can Overcome, Nothing's Impossible. That's great. What made you think of that? Like, t- tell us about your story and as to you know how you came up with the idea why you came up with the idea and um and and why you decided to start this company so at the end of 2019 i had been really throwing around the idea of starting a business i just didn't know what i had all my whole adult life has been in the military so i didn't know anything other than that um one day i went to the gym and I had a really embarrassing moment um i spent tons of money on leggings from a different brand and they were totally see-through so um, <laughs> uh, one of my friends came up to me in the gym. He's like, hey, I'm I'm sorry to tell you this, but I can see everything. I was like, oh, no, that means everyone could have seen everything this whole time. So really, oh I combined <laughs> me wanting a business and that problem I had to make Iconi. Um, and I came up with my first sketch at two o'clock in the morning when I was working a night shift. Um, and I turned to one of my sergeants and I said, hey. I'm going to start an activewear company. And he's like, it's 2 a.m. We have two more hours here, ma'am. <laughs> so he was just like, why are you doing this at 2 a.m.? Um, I knew I want the activewear to be motivational because sometimes we need an extra push. And I want to like a motivational culture for everyone. So some of us that maybe don't have it figured out in the gym yet. So um, Iconi, I wanted an acronym. So it, it took a lot of like trial and error to figure out what I wanted the name of the brand to be, to appeal to both uh, women and men. Um, so, and finally, Iconi came to be. I love that. Now, most people would just, you know, just go out and buy another brand. You decided to start your own company. Now, from what I've heard, clothing companies are, you know, are very, very competitive. So you're starting a legging brand and there's some top names out there, right? That are the, the go-to legging brands. Um, did you have any fear in, in starting this? Or, you know, what was your mindset when you said, well, I'm just gonna start a legging company? Um, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I had any fear because I was so naive about what it took <laughs> to start a business. But then I also had the security. So originally this was just a hobby for me because I was still in the military. And I expected to grow very slowly, but when the first 11 months of the business, we got into O Magazine, I was like, okay, maybe this might be real. Uh, So I really, and then last year I finally got out and um, became a full-time entrepreneur. I think that's when the pressure was on. So I think if, when you're, when you're relying on your business hundred percent, that's really when you feel the pressure. And, and you said you were in O Magazine. How did you, how did someone find you? Did you specifically reach out to them to be featured? Um, someone found me. So I, um, what I tell entrepreneurs all the time, especially women, uh, apply for everything. Because even if you don't get a grant, a lot of times those grant pages will feature your brand logo on the website. So apply for everything because I forgot what the statistics are, but women are a lot less likely to apply for anything because we think we need to be 100% qualified for it, whereas our male counterparts are okay with being like, I don't want to misquote about 50% qualified for it. I, I say the exact same thing all the time. It's like women have to check off every single box to say I am 100% qualified before they're, they're taking that step forward. 
and men just go for it, right? And so we need to have more trust in ourselves that we can learn and grow as we're as we're you know taking these risks, right? We need to put ourselves out there because we're perfectly capable. Exactly, and I think women. I'm from the south, so southern women are taught to be humble and never ask for anything, especially minority women. Like, no, this is enough. Don't ask for any more. But that's the total opposite in business. You constantly need to be asking for more because your competitors are, other entrepreneurs are going to be. So, to, and then women also need to make sure they don't feel like they're taking resources from other people. There's enough resources to go around, and you need to apply. Because a lot of times, I found out that I was able to get into something because no one else applied the, and that's you know it, like you said you have to you have to actually go out there and look for opportunities right and it, they're not always going to come to you and and you know just doing that research right you probably had to do a ton of research because you're in a whole new industry right like leggings is very different than the military um so what are some of the what are some of the things that you had to overcome from a personal growth perspective to, to start learning something completely new and, and challenge yourself? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 